Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, move to opening up God's Word. We, uh, we see that as a central part of our gatherings on, uh, at Exchange here. Um, to let God's word speak into our hearts and to reveal his truth to us. We've been going through the book of Genesis over the last few months. We've been, um, I think we started at the end of September or thereabouts. Um, And today we're up to the second last talk. We are going to actually cover the last four chapters of Genesis. We don't normally cover such a large chunk like that. Um, I mean, you could probably pull a few other talks out of it, but I'm just going to centralise on one talk today as we think about that. And then next week we're going to just hit on the uh, one verse out of chapter 50 um, of the, for our last talk from Genesis at that point. So I'm just going to find where we are. Beautiful. So next week will be Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 and that'll be our last uh, talk from this sermon series on the book of Genesis. Uh, Today though we're looking at uh, chapters 46 to 50. Um, uh, Let me tell you this, stories are a fantastic way of drawing us into life, aren't they? When when you hear a story you can actually sort of find yourself there in the plot line or the storyline. It's a great way of illustrating, it's a great way of finding yourself in life when you hear stories and often the stories we often hear and see uh, have a similar plot line through life or a similar storyline through life. Uh, Initially with the story everything's as it should be, everything's okay, it's all happy and it's all good. But then in the story something breaks in and it disturbs the peace or it upsets the happiness of what's taking place there. Then there's an issue to deal with. There's a problem that we've actually got to resolve in this situation now. That's how a story goes. But then the story does go on by saying a hero arrives. Someone comes to save the day. Someone comes to restore the peace and the happiness. And if it's like one of those princess stories, they all go and live happily ever after after that. That's how the story goes. And we love a story like that. In actual fact, they are all really copies of the biblical story. Because really the Bible is one story written for us from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. It's God's story. It's all about him. But we also are in this story as well. And the last few weeks we've been centering more on Joseph and a little bit of Jacob prior to that because they're playing key roles in God's story of God revealing himself to us. And God's story is all about God and his word that he's shown us where we see who God is. Uh, Today we're going to see that as we just ran out these last few chapters here of uh, Genesis. So if you've got your Bibles, please now go to chapter 46. We're going to read the first four verses out of that and then a few verses out of chapter 49 as well as we look at this story of God's faithfulness. So chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Bathsheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. 
And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And across to 49, verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. And then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machopah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. Therefore they buried Abraham, there they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Uh, Father, we thank you and praise you that we're able to come and gather this afternoon. We thank you now, Lord, that we're able to come and just look at these uh, closing chapters here in the book of Genesis. We ask and pray uh, that, Holy Spirit, you would come and open up our heart, open up our eyes, open up uh, our spiritual heart, our spiritual eyes to see you. Help us, Lord, as we see this today, that we are seeing you as we open up these pages of Scripture. So we pray, Holy Spirit, give us a clear vision of this great and awesome and glorious God. Now we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, today, as we ran out these last few chapters here in Genesis, we actually see a really strong foundation built uh, for the rest of God's story actually outplaying itself throughout the Bible. Roughly what we see here is probably about 250 years of the call of Abraham, uh, going back a few generations before Jacob here, and the promise is given to him. And then right up now to this point here in Genesis chapter 50, where we see the death of Jacob, there's about a 250-year span that's taken place here. Initially, we see Abraham and Sarah alone with no children at the start, back at the call of Abraham. And then we see Jacob's family fruitful and multiplying, as it were, in the land of Egypt 250 years later with the beginnings of a nation now starting to be formed here within Israel. All of this, this 250 years, Abraham and Sarah are going to a fruitful and multiplying nation, is all about God and his sovereign plan and purposes being worked out in his perfect timing according to his plans. And when we see that and understand that and actually grasp that in our hearts and minds, what we actually get with Genesis is this beautiful and captivating picture here, this springboard, as it were, into the rest of the Bible, this living, breathing document that God has given to us. What is Genesis? Genesis is the beginnings. It's the beginnings of seeing a God who speaks. He's not a silent God, he's a speaking God. And he's a God who's also faithful to stand by his word and fulfill it in every detail. Nothing of God's word sort of gets missed. It's all fulfilled and carried out by his powerful uh, being. And this will be a big idea today as we think about that. God speaks and is faithful to his word without fail. Now, if we go back to thinking here, okay, uh, with the death of Jacob, what we actually have as we think about this book of Genesis here is the end of what we call the patriarchs. You might be saying, who are they? Uh, they're what we know as the fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, God refers to them through the book of Genesis till we get to this point 
Jacob dies, it's the end of the patriarchs, and now we move to the 12 tribes of Israel, which is the 12 sons of Jacob. But to help us see here what's taking place in this transition, to see how God's uh, plans and purposes are being outworked, uh, it's important to go back and see the promises that he initially made to Abraham right back at the start. So let's go with us here to uh, Genesis chapter 12, and we'll just read through that again to see what the Lord said to Abram. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're not going to pull that passage apart today, but it just helps build a foundation here. And this is what we see out of this passage. Firstly, God is a speaking God. God speaks. God said to Abraham. And he makes promises to Abraham at the same time. What's he say there? I will make you into a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you and make your name remembered forever. And the blessing I bring you, that God brings to him, will be a blessing for all the earth. Notice there, I, 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 not Abraham. Abraham is just the recipient. This is what God is going to do. This is God's promise as he speaks to him. The context of that passage in verse there, that Abraham is possibly around 70 years of old age. Uh, his wife Sarah is barren, so they have no children, but yet God says, I'll make you into a great nation, many people. Here's what we see about God. He speaks. He makes a promise. He talks. Let's follow this on further. Uh, what's important to see about God's grand story in Scripture is this. It's an unfolding or progressive revelation. We don't get the whole story there in the book of Genesis. It actually keeps unfolding. It's a bit like a small child storybook. Possibly Lil's got one of these books. You know, you open up the page and you read it, but then you can open up the window on that page and you see more things behind that. There's something progressively unfolding here as we do this, and we see this as well through the Bible. We see this unfolding of God's promises, of God's plan, God's salvation plan here, over many generations and over many years. Perhaps 30 so years later, Abraham has a reaffirmation here and a deeper revealing of God's promise. Let's have a quick look at that in Genesis 17. When Abraham was, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. There's more things that God reveals here for Abram. Kings shall come from you, Abraham, and I'll give you the land of Canaan as well. Progressive, unfolding, opening up a revelation of God's story. And again, as we heard so wonderfully read by Esther there before, Jacob, 
who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, he also gets the same promise of God handed down to him. He's part of that as the generations coming after Abraham. And it's reaffirmed in Genesis 35, as Esther read, confirming again, fruitful and multiplying, that's what will happen from your family, kings from your body and possession of the land of Canaan. But where's Jacob when he hears those promises that they're confirmed? Well, he has 11 sons at this point in time in Genesis 35, and it's about probably 175 years after Abraham first hears this, of the initial promise. And what can we say there as we think about that? Well, God's promises are going deeper, but time is also ticking along in God's perfect processes here. Jacob has 11 sons, but that's hardly a nation at this stage. But things are moving. What's God doing here as we look at this particular reaffirming of the the promise, God's progressively unfolding more and more of his promise, of his salvation plan, and faithfully, slowly, steadily bringing it about, fulfilling his word. Let's fast forward now to Genesis 46, and in doing so we actually shift another 50 years or so in time, and now we move towards the later stages of Jacob's life here. And again we see God speaking to Jacob reaffirming and confirming his promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac and now Jacob. He says in verse 3 and 4, Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now you think, why is he going to Egypt? If you step back a bit, there was a massive famine on the land. Uh, the land of Canaan has got no food. Uh, the whole story went through last week with Joseph and now the family is relocating to Egypt to be with Joseph who's up there. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I also will bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. What does God say? Go down to Egypt. I'm with you. It's here where I'll make you into a great nation. It's here where you will be fruitful and multiply. What is God doing? He's strengthening Jacob with his word. Why? God is a speaking God. God is God who communicates with us. But how's it looking for Jacob at this stage as he takes hold of these promises again? Well, the outward circumstances aren't great. Jacob is leaving the land that God had promised them, Canaan, but it's under God's direction to do that. God said, go to Egypt and I'll be with you. Let's just track this a little bit further along again as we see this progressive unfolding here of this promise of God. Genesis 47 now, verse 27. Thus Israel, which is another name for Jacob, or the nation of Israel, settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. They were fruitful and they multiplied greatly. What are we seeing here? This is rapid expansion now. You could nearly say the Israelites were brooding like rabbits. They're actually brooding very quickly. The numbers are growing. The family of Jacob are now multiplying greatly. The numbers are actually increasing, possibly to the thousands of people. Hundreds very quickly can grow to thousands. And if you follow this through, uh, another 400 years or so, they grow to be more than 3 million people in the land of Goshen. What do we see? A nation is beginning to be formed, just as God said, just as God promised. His word stands sure. Now, if we take this a little bit further, 
just stepping through, and there'll be a reason for this in a moment, but Genesis 49, we actually see a further prophetic fulfilment here of God's promises to Jacob as well. Uh, Jacob's now on his deathbed. He's like giving out his last will and testament to the sons that are all gathered around about him. He's pronouncing a blessing, as it were, and speaking about the future of his sons as well and what's going to take place in their lives. And then he says this about his son Judah in verses 8 and 12. Genesis 49, 8, 12. Judah, speaking to him now, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. In other words, he'll have power over his enemies. Your father's sons, his brothers, will shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lion as who dares rouse him. Listen to this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Very poetic, but actually telling us something. Verse 10, what does it say there? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. What's Jacob prophetically saying here? There's a king. A king shall come from Judah. Kings shall come from you, as God said to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we fast forward a few hundred years, we see that. King David is from the tribe of Judah. And if we fast forward that a few hundred years more, we see another king who comes from the tribe of Judah. Jesus of Nazareth, the king, the king, prophetically being fulfilled, just as God had promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, a speaking God who confirms his promises. You're possibly asking yourself right now, Todd, why are we hearing all this sort of, all this bit out of here and a bit out of there and a bit out of there? Why are we, why are we grabbing all these various passages here? We normally sort of work on the one passage and think about, so why are we grabbing all these passages? What, what are we getting at here as we do that? The whole point is this. It's to see God. It is to see God. It is to see what he is doing. So we can so easily just read over some of this stuff at times. We don't stop to think what we're reading. We don't stop to actually see what is happening here as we read these things. See, we're meant to read that. We're meant to be captivated by that. We're meant to be then blown away by this one and only awesome God as we read about him and see these things promised and see these things being outworked before our very eyes. That's the purpose of the scriptures. That's the purpose of the Bible. It's for us to see this communicating God, speaking to us, putting his plans in place. The culmination here of Jacob's life is to see the faithfulness of God and his word being performed and fulfilled. The culmination of Jacob's life here is to see that God has been intimately involved in Jacob's life all the way along. It's all about God working through Jacob. Uh, through Jacob. 
There's not a detail that's been left out by him. And actually Jacob begins to see this. 48.15, it says this in chapter 48. And he blessed Joseph, this is now Jacob, and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. What's he saying about God? He's been my shepherd, Joseph. Let me tell you about this God. He's been my shepherd all my life long. He's led me and he's fed me. Wherever I've gone, God has been with me as my shepherd. Joseph, let me tell you, God has led me by his word every day of my life. I've followed his promises. I've stayed true to his promises. This is the God who's been my God, my shepherd, Joseph. So here's our point as we think about this and gather these scriptures together. God is a speaking God. He talks. He communicates to us. He relates to us through his living and eternal word. God speaks to us through his word and he's faithful to keep this word to the very end. When we read this, it's speaking to us. It's God speaking to us and telling us and revealing us who he is and what his plans are and what he requires of us. You see, if we look both at Jacob and Joseph, as we have the last few weeks, we see that God has been faithful to these guys right to the very end, keeping his word without fail. Not one thing failed. He did not let them down once at all. And it was always in God's perfect timing. It may not have been in Jacob's timing or Joseph's timing, but it was always in God's perfect timing. God's word was powerful in their lives. It wasn't a dead word. It was a living word in their life. Think about this. What kept those guys going in those awfully long periods of silence in their lives? And when I say silence, I mean this. When Joseph is sitting in the jail cell, as he was back in, uh, when Potiphar had him put him to jail, what stopped Joseph from giving up at that point in time? About 10 or 11 years he spent in that jail, wrongfully put in there. What kept him going? God's word. God's promise. The dreams that God had given to Jacob, or Joseph all those years before. That sustained him. That kept him going. What about Jacob? Sitting in this famine-stricken land of Canaan, God's promised land at the time, but there's no food. He's thinking, what the heck is going on? What kept him from actually just giving up and walking away from the whole thing? Again, Jacob held on to who God is and what God said. He staked his life upon what God had told him. God's word revealed to Jacob who God is and what God would do. So here's the question as we think about that. How do you... How do I see God's word, the Bible? Do we see the Bible as a window into God and his world? Or is it just a book with pages and numbers on it? What is this word to you? Do you see this word here that God's speaking to us, do you see that it's somewhat all about you or is this the word all about God and who he is? How do you see this word when you look into it, when you open it up? 
You see, these are vastly important questions for us to answer. Because as we read through the book of Genesis and we pull these things together and we see this plan happening, it really is the springboard into the rest of the Bible. If you take the Bible and remove Genesis out of it, you'll be lost. You won't know where things are going. How did that get to there? You see, when we read through the book of Genesis, it's meant to whet our appetite. It's meant to enliven us. It's meant to enthuse us. It's meant to actually get us to want to consume more of this word, to hear more of who God is, to see more of this story unfold itself. Because Genesis is just the beginning here of God's grand story that he's telling us through his living word. What is the Bible? It is page after page after page of seeing sinful brokenness. It's page after page of painful despair of men, women and children living in rebellion before God. What is the Bible? It's page after page after page after page of God's grace, of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's person continually drawing people back to himself who don't deserve it. But God's showing us who he is, giving his grace to people who are unworthy and who have not earned it, never will earn it. It's God revealing himself to us. What is the Bible? What is this story here we read of Jacob and Joseph? It's a revelation of who God is, the most glorious being we could ever imagine and beyond our comprehension. Speaking to us, telling us who he is. What is the Bible? It is God's personal invitation to know him, to see him, to understand who he is and what he's done for us. It's the God who last night brings the rain from the sky and drops it onto the ground. It's the God today who brings this refreshing wind to cool down where we live. Sometimes we just let that pass right by us without thinking about who is the master of the wind and the waves. And what is the Bible? It's a personal invitation to know this one. If we get that, that thought and that invitation is amazing. But sometimes we don't get it, do we? Because often we'll just leave this sitting on the shelf and we won't even read about this God. We won't even be cared to take time to think about who this glorious God is. You see, discovering who God is, it's a bit like taking a drive through a densely forested mountain range. We've all done it. It's sort of fun at the start, but after a while he gets sick of the curves and all you can see is trees, trees, trees. But after a while you might get to the top and you'll take that last curve to the left and all of a sudden you get to that last rise and the trees break open and you drive over the top and you see this glorious blue ocean. Out before your eyes you see these white sandy beaches inviting you down to them. You get this glorious view as you break out through these trees. And there's something awe-inspiring about that. Something that sort of takes your breath away and refreshes you as you take that view in. Well, the Bible's a bit like that. We travel through the life of trials and pains and confusion and despair and it seems like life takes one curve and twist after another. 
But all of a sudden, when we discover God in his eternal word, it's like looking at that deep blue ocean and that crystal clear water. It begins to actually bring life into our weary souls. As this word becomes alive in our hearts, it's that same vista that speaks life into our hearts. And here with these guys, there's something vastly different between uh, Jacob and Joseph's day compared to ours. What do these guys have? Really, they only had God come to them in visitations and fairly infrequently. Sometimes it was years between God saying stuff to them. For us, very different. Esther picks it up today and she reads it. I've got one sitting right here and most of you got them either in book form or electronic form as well. God speaks to us today through his written word, the Bible, that we have access to 24 hours a day. No excuse, it's just right there. And we have this completed revelation of who God is, not a partial revelation that Jacob and Joseph had. They're imagining these promises and seeing them in part not fulfilled vastly different to us we actually see the completed revelation we actually see this king that was going to come from Abraham Isaac and Jacob all those years later we see that king in King Jesus and we see that same king who takes our place on the cross to bear all of our sin and we see that same king who rises again for our justification our rightness before God we see that same king who says I'm coming back again we have the completed revelation we don't have what Jacob and Joseph had we've got it all and we can lay our hands on that any time we like to see God let him speak to us it's a treasure we all live in the same world today this world that's like a, a 24 hours a day news and commentary on the internet now, I'm sure all of you have been involved very much so over the last few months uh, it's just bombarding us with information and speculation all the time. Sometimes that sort of stuff does our head in. People, you just go on social media, everybody's got a comment to make on it. And sometimes it seems so persuasive what people are saying. And you think, is that true? Is it not true? What do I do? I turn to God's word. I hear his voice. I see his truth. I allow that to come into my mind. What does that do? It helps me to sort out the lies from the truth. All the lies that I hear, all the speculation I hear, all the conspiracy stuff I hear. It just helps me to sort all through that and refreshes my heart. I, I, I can't tell you how many times when I felt overwhelmed by news media or news commentary or views or whatever it might be. And I just say, just give me the Bible, please. Let me go to the book of Romans and just let me start to read through the book of Romans. And I start to read through the book of Romans and it's just like a refreshing draft comes into my heart and comes into my soul. It just clears away all the confusion. It just clears away all the rubbish and God just speaks into my heart. And it just begins to fill me with peace. It fills me with comfort. It fills me with security. It fills me with confidence in Christ as I allow him to speak to me. It's the same today as we dedicate Lil. We have this glorious, precious thing here called God's Word that James and Hannah can take, and not only James and Hannah, but every family here can take to teach and to train and to raise their children on God. Hearing his voice coming through the pages of Scripture. That's who Exchange Church is. We are a Bible-believing, Spirit-filled church. That God speaks through his Word. 
by his spirit and brings that alive in our hearts. So as we wrap up here today, what do you see when you read and you hear about Jacob and Joseph here in Genesis? Is it just an interesting story? Is it just that? Or do you see a majestic, glorious God revealing himself to us in faithfulness and loving sovereignty as his plan unfolds before us? So there's a story that's all about God and his majestic wonder. What a gift we have, we have here in God's word. Let us pray. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 